0: Good morning everyone. I right, feel free to stand and sing along if you want to.
1: Have a seat you know that song is so powerful it's a great reminder to us that god is all powerful that he fights our battles for us, that he is unstoppable and it's important for us to know that because we're kicking off a new series today called riding the storm i'm nancy on the campus team and i just want to celebrate with you that last weekend for good friday and easter services because you invited guests and brought them along with you Over 10,000 people were here at the Troy campus. Over 25,000 people visited some of our Kensington campuses. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's really great. And uh, I was having a conversation in the lobby recently with a young woman named Gina. And Gina was telling me she believes because of her gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given her, that she is called to help out in the healthcare industry serving those in need. And some of you here, I know you know what your gifts, talents, and abilities are, and you're looking for ways to make a difference in the world. Others are sitting here wondering, I wonder what my gifts, talents, and abilities are. And I want you to know there's a conference coming up later this month that will help you understand that next step that you can take. So let's watch this video and catch the vision together.
2: So if you're at all like me, maybe you like coming down to Detroit's Eastern Market to grab some farm fresh food, hang out with some friends, check out the local art scene, and just soak up the culture of the city. But what if we're able to see a place like this as more than just a fun spot to hang? What if we actually saw this as the church? So there's a good chance, if you're watching this right now, that there's a place just like this in your own life where God's already working and he's calling you to join it. It could be at where you work. It could be in your local school. It could be at your kids' sporting events. It could be anywhere. This is really good, man. Thank you. So, on April 20th and 21st, we're hosting the Move Out Conference at the Troy campus. This conference has got one idea in mind to connect you to God's calling on your life. We're going to help you develop a plan and see you move out in action, becoming the church, loving and serving the people that God has placed all around you. Coming here from author, speaker, and pastor of New Song Church in California, Dave Gibbons. What would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? The CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, Craig Mays. If there's a child that is homeless, you don't bring them in so that you can get them into heaven. You bring them in because they shouldn't be homeless. Pastor of Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, Matt Reynolds. We want to be a part of the kingdom that is building a culture that honors God and one another, or are we just going to be a part of our own little kingdom, building our own little life? And founder of Kensington Church, Steve Andrews. People that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, new ideas, new ministries that that are going to change the way people live. We believe that you are the church, and it's time for us to move out, to register, hit up kensingtonchurch.org slash move out.
1: I've already signed up for the conference. I hope you will join me in doing that. You can register online or you can go out to the lobby and we'll help you do that there also kicking off a little bit later this month are several groups where you can take a a next step on your spiritual journey and get connected. I'm inviting up Ben and Cassie, who just completed a course we call the Alpha Course, which is a place where we discuss the big questions of the faith. And having just completed it, I thought it would be great for you to hear from them what Alpha is all about. So thanks, guys, for being here. And maybe just start by sharing how it is, Ben, that you came to the Alpha Course and how it impacted you. Uh,
2: My wife made me come to the Alpha Course. Um, we had a baby in September. She wanted to uh, have a New Year's resolution that we normally don't do as well, and we decided we are going to start going to church and actively participate in our relationship with Christ. And in our first church service, the, they were talking about Alpha, which we'd heard of before, but kind of blew it off. But at this point, we are like, if we're going to do this at all, let's jump in, get any questions answered that we have, any concerns, and just see what happens and uh one of the biggest lessons we learned during the alpha course is how powerful prayer is even though we always thought it was kind of wishful thinking but i'll let my uh, wife talk about that
3: all right so like he said uh for us the biggest impact that we came across with alpha was prayer um we were financially struggling uh to the point where on paper it didn't make sense. We should not have had the calm that we had. Uh, We were 21 minutes away from possibly, uh, well, not from possibly, but from going into foreclosure on our house. Um, But through prayer and through Alpha and all the people around us, I haven't cried yet, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, We made it through, we're not in that position anymore, Um, but we have learned how extremely powerful prayer can be. And that's the biggest impact that we got out of Alpha. It was almost a supernatural feeling um, of having that calm. And without Alpha, I don't think we would have ever been able to have that comfort and that strength to get through all this. Great. And so, for people
1: sitting in the seats here, yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I'm sure there are some people sitting in the seats wondering, like, maybe they're on the fence. Should I jump into Alpha or not? What would you say to them? I would tell them to do it, 100%. Um,
3: Whether you're struggling or not, um, it's a place to find peace and to meet great people and have great discussion and really come to your faith. And if you don't even come to your faith going through this course, you still get to enjoy a great meal and watch some great videos and meet awesome people. So... Thank you, guys.
1: Thank you so much for sharing. Give it up for Cassie and Ben. (laughs) Alpha happens here on Wednesday nights. We're kicking off April 18th for nine Wednesdays. I would encourage you to go out to the lobby table, ask some questions, sign up, just even come once, and meet some great people, see what you think about it, and then you can make the next decision. Finally, next weekend in our services, we are going to be celebrating baptism. It's an opportunity where people who uh, have been on a journey, Say, I want to publicly declare that I'm all in with Jesus. Already many have signed up, and if you've been thinking about baptism or you're feeling a nudge in your spirit right now, I would encourage you to take that next step. Something happens after you go in the water and you come up. It's just a newer, richer experience with Jesus. So you can go online to register for that. There's also a tutorial video that you'll watch that will answer some of your questions. I encourage you to do that, and then bring someone back with you next week, and it's a powerful service. So today we have as our speaker, our teaching pastor here at Troy Campus, Andrew Kim, and before he comes up, I just want to encourage us, let's stand up, greet a few people around you warmly, and we'll continue on.
4: a light, burns brighter than the sun, he steals the night, and casts no shadow, there is hope, should oceans rise and mountains fall, he never fails.
5: That song that we just heard, the inspiration came from Jesus' words in the New Testament in John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. So he promises us that our lives will not be problem-free, they will not be challenge-free, they will not be disappointment-free, but that we will experience trouble. But then he says something extraordinary, because he says, take heart, which was the title of that song. He says you can have hope, you can have courage in the midst of the storms of your life. And the reason is, he says, is because I have overcome the world. And so as we move into today, that if you are in the middle of a storm right now, and I saw many of the lights that when it asked that question previously, who was going through a storm, I saw a lot of lights that were shining. So if you are going through a storm or in the future, if you do go through a storm, that you would remember these words of Jesus, that in this world we will have trouble, but we can take heart because he has overcome the world. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you for your profound promise that promise that tells us why we can have hope, why we can have joy, why we can have courage even when we go through painful and difficult situations in our lives. And so as we move into today, and as we talk about the storms in our lives, that we would remember your words, those words. In this world, we will have trouble, but we can take heart, because you have overcome. We thank you for that promise, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. And my wife, Robin, and I, we've been married for almost 12 years now. But early on in our marriage, for the first three years, or towards the beginning of our marriage, for three years, we lived in Minneapolis. Anyone ever live in Minneapolis before? Anyone from Minnesota? I see a few hands. So it's a great place, but it is the coldest place I have ever lived in my entire life. But the people are warm, second, of course, only to Michigan, but nevertheless, the people are very, very kind there. And so we lived there for three years, and during those three years, I worked as a resident director at a college, meaning my wife Robin and I, we lived in the dorms with the students, and I, and really we, did life together with them. It was a great job for me during that season of my life. And during that time, my wife was going, Robin was going to school to get her master's in marriage and family therapy, which is the reason why we moved to Minneapolis in the first place. But in the last year of her program, I started applying for church jobs all across the country because long-term, I didn't want to work in higher education, but I wanted to work in the church. And if you know anything about churches, some churches out there, they tend to be slow, we'll say, when it comes to the hiring process. And so I knew this, and so I started sending out my resume, started applying for positions at least a year before I knew I needed a job. But a few things made... Things, about a few things at the time made things a little bit complicated. And one of the things was that my job at the college at the time required me to give five months notice. And so in January, I had to tell my boss whether I'd be coming back for the following school year. And if I chose not to, I would still have to work until the end of June. And of course our housing was tied to my job so come July, if I didn't have another job, we wouldn't have a place to live. And to top it all off, Robin was about to get her due date. We were expecting our first child. And Robin's due date was the beginning of August. And so I felt a huge amount of pressure to find a job by July so I could not only support my family and so we could have health care, but also so we could move to wherever we needed to get settled before the baby came. And I remember it was March of that year, and I had nothing, absolutely nothing, No prospects, no interviews lined up, absolutely nothing. The only thing I had was a huge pile of emails in my inbox from churches saying, Andrew, we think you're great, but just not great for us. And I remember that month, I hit rock bottom. I lost all hope because in my mind, I was thinking there's no chance that anyone is going to hire me in the next three months. So Robin and I decided that come July, what we would do is that we would put all of our things into storage, and then we would go in, move in with her parents, who live three and a half hours north of Minneapolis. And so at 31 years old, and with my first child on the way, I was thinking, I am going to be unemployed and living in my in-law's basement. <laughs> life doesn't get much better than that. This is going to be the crowning achievement of my life. And honestly, I felt like I had a Big fat L on my head. and But honestly, how I felt during that time was I felt like a failure. An utter failure as a husband, as a father, and as a man. Because I was thinking, I can't support my family. I'm not doing my part. And that's how I felt. And God, he eventually gave me a job. But during that season of my life, I was so angry at him. And every single day, I would ask him questions like, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this to happen? Don't you see that I need a job? And it's not like I want to be a millionaire or anything like that. I just want a job so I could support my family. I would ask questions like, do you even care? Do you see what I'm going through, and do you even care right now? And today we're going to be starting a brand new series titled Riding the Storm, where we're going to lean in to many of these questions by looking at four events, four stories in the life of the apostle Paul in the New Testament. And when we look at his life, we see that he went through more than his fair share of difficulties, of pain, and of heartbreak. But yet in the midst of all of that, we see that he lived an incredible life for God. And our hope is is as we look at these through at these four events and we really press into his life our hope is is that it would challenge every single one of us it would encourage us to to really be able to trust and to be able to lean into god more in our most difficult as well as our darkest moments and today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a story where we find that paul was in a really really hard situation it was really difficult And just to give you a little bit of the backstory as to what had happened in Paul's life, he had been arrested in the city of Jerusalem. And then after being arrested in Jerusalem, he had been transported, he had been taken to a nearby city called Caesarea, where he had been under house arrest for two long years. And after being under house arrest for two years, he was then being transported to Rome to have his case heard by none other than Caesar himself. And when we pick up the story today, we find that Paul had been taken from Caesarea, which is on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And he had made it all the way to Crete, which is towards the lower portion, the middle of the screen, the lower portion of that, the Greek island of Crete. That's where he was. And when we pick up the story, we find that it was the beginning of October, which was considered to be a dangerous time to sail because that's how he was being taken to Rome, via ship. And so early October, dangerous time to sail. And the reason was, was because the conditions could change very quickly. And so Paul knew this. And so he went to the people who were in charge and he told them, he recommended that they stop sailing for the winter. That they stay where they were, spend the winter there, and pick it back up in the spring. And this is what he said. He told them, men... I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. He's very encouraging. But then he continues on. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship, which makes sense because Paul wasn't a maritime expert and these other guys were. And so since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, it says, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. And so they wanted to get to Phoenix, which was located, located on the southwestern portion of Crete. And so they made the decision to keep going. And then when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So it says they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore Of Crete. And so they decided to keep going. And when they started out, it says that there was this gentle south wind that was moving them along the coast of Crete. And so it looked like, at least when they started, anyways, that things were perfect. It looked like the pilot and the owner had been right and Paul had been wrong. But if you read verses 14 to 20 of Acts chapter 27, what you see is that the conditions quickly changed. Because as I mentioned, it was early October, a very dangerous time to sail because the conditions could be unpredictable and it proved to be true. Because although they started out in a gentle south wind, it quickly turned into a full-blown hurricane. And as we'll see later on, they were in this hurricane for two long weeks, for 14 straight days they were in this hurricane. And this hurricane was so massive, it was so fierce, that they lost all control of their ship. They couldn't steer. They couldn't control their speed. They were at the mercy of the storm. And so it says in verse 20, that when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, the storm kept going. And maybe for some of you here, this is how you feel in your life right now and that you're in the middle of the storm and it just keeps going. It will not stop. It's just wave after wave. That's what they were experiencing. The storm kept raging. And then the next words, I think, are so important. It says, We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Everyone on that ship, 276 men, every single one of them gave up hope of being saved. And one of those people was Paul. This storm was so ferocious. It was so huge and so violent that Paul himself gave up all hope as well. This is Paul, the man who wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. The one who Jesus appeared to on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever. The man who had this incredible faith. He was in this storm and he lost all hope of ever being saved. And I love that the scriptures include this because it shows Paul's humanity. Because Paul wasn't a perfect human being. He wasn't Jesus. But he was a regular person like you and me who put his pants on one leg at a time. And it says that in this storm, he lost all hope. Have you ever experienced this in your life? Where you went through a storm that was so fierce, so massive, so violent, that you lost all hope of ever being saved. Maybe it was when your doctor came and told you those two words that change your life forever. It's cancer. Or when you looked at the mountain of debt that you had accumulated and thought to yourself, you know what, there's no chance that I'm ever going to be able to climb out of this. Or maybe it was when that person that you love so deeply and so dearly was suddenly taken away from you forever. Have you ever been in a storm and lost all hope of ever being saved? Paul did. But this is what God did in the midst of this massive storm. This is what God did for Paul and all of those other men on board. And it says this. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves from this damage and this loss. (laughs) They're in a hurricane. And Paul thinks of all the times to say this, he says, I told you so right here. And he says to them, hey, guys, remember a couple days ago I said we shouldn't do this? I said it was a bad idea. We'd probably all die. Guess what? It's probably going to happen. And so he says, I told you so again. Again, I love that the fact that the scriptures include this because it shows Paul's humanity. And I'm also surprised that they didn't throw him overboard and they let them continue going on that ship. But that's another story. But after Paul says, I told you so, then he encourages them by saying, But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. So just when all hope appeared to be lost, Just when it felt like for all of these men that they were totally alone and that they were going to die, God showed them that he was with them, that he was with them in the midst of the storm. And this is also true for you and for me as well. Because when we're walking through a storm in our lives, it's oftentimes during those periods, during those seasons, where we feel like we're the most alone. But just as God was with Paul and those other men on that ship that night during their storm, during those entire two weeks, just as God was with them, the truth is, is that God is with us in our storms as well. And this is the first of two truths that we're going to be looking at today. This is the first of two truths that we can anchor ourselves to when we're walking through, when we are experiencing a storm. Because when we're going through a storm, sometimes it's hard to see God, but that doesn't mean he can't see us. And sometimes when we're experiencing a storm, it feels like God is nowhere to be found, that he's a million miles away. But the reality is, but the truth is, is that he is right there beside us. And this is what the scriptures remind us and tell us over and over and over again, that there is nothing that can happen that will cause God to leave us Or abandon us and one of the places that it says this to us is in the old testament in the book of deuteronomy and in a moment we're going to read the words of moses and moses is the one who led the people of god out of slavery in egypt he's the one who parted the red sea brought the ten commandments down from the mountain and he reminds the people of god this incredible incredible truth he says do not be afraid or discouraged for the lord will personally go ahead of you he will be with you he will neither fail you nor abandon you and he says that god will always be with you including in a storm and so if you're going through a storm right now one of the things i want to encourage you and invite you to do is to look around as what's happening and if you do if you spend a few moments just looking around I guarantee you that you will see Jesus in the midst of your circumstance, that you will see that he hasn't left you, that he hasn't abandoned you, but that he is right there with you. And a couple of years ago, when I was going through that situation where I just was looking for a job and felt totally hopeless, one of the ways that I saw Jesus in the middle of my circumstance, one of the ways that I saw him walking with me was through a friend of mine who was walking with me through that circumstance. And his name was John. And John had gone through something similar a few years earlier in that he had struggled to find a job for, I think, two to three long years. He struggled with it. And during that season, he asked the same questions that I was asking in that moment. He felt exactly what I was feeling. And John was an incredible friend to me in that he walked with me through that situation. He sat with me, and he allowed me to be angry. He allowed me to cry He allowed me to ask my questions. And when he thought it was appropriate, he would remind me of truth. And it was through our friendship that I saw Jesus. That I saw that he hadn't abandoned me, he hadn't left me, but that he was right there with me. And so if you are going through a storm right now, I want to invite you to just look around. Take a few moments today and just look around. And to find Jesus in your circumstance. And I guarantee that you will be able to see him. It might be in a relationship. It might be in a circumstance. It might be through the scriptures or some other way, but that you will see that he has not left you, that he has not abandoned you. And when we realize that he is with us, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because understanding who is with us is so important. And this past week, I heard a story from a man named Craig who told me about something that had happened to him back in high school. And back in high school, Craig said that the biggest, meanest, baddest kid in his entire high school wanted to pummel him because he thought, and this kid's name was Jerry, and this guy was so bad, he's like one of those guys who started shaving in third grade. That's how bad he was. And so this guy just wanted to beat Craig up. And the reason why he wanted to beat him up was because he thought that Craig liked his girlfriend, which he didn't. But for some reason, Jerry thought that. And so every single day, Jerry would show up at Craig's locker and leave a note. And basically what this note said was that Jerry said through this note to Craig, the next time I see you, I am going to kill you. And of course, Craig didn't want this to happen to him. And so he tried to avoid Jerry like the plague. When he needed to go to class, he would take the long way around to make sure that he never saw him. And he was able to keep this up for quite a bit of time. But one day, there was another student that started at their high school, new student. And this guy's name was Hank. And everyone was afraid of Hank. Nobody wanted to mess with Hank. And the reason was, there was a rumor that was going around the school that said that hank had killed a student at his previous school that's why he had been kicked out that's why he was at that school so nobody wanted to mess with him everyone was afraid of him but at the same time what that also meant was that nobody wanted to be his friend except for craig because craig looked at hank and he imagined how difficult it must be to be a new student at a new school so he went up to hank introduced himself They got to know each other and they became fast friends they began hanging out together spending time together walking to class together and because everyone knew that craig was with hank nobody ever messed with craig not even jerry because jerry used to be the biggest guy at school but then came hank who was even bigger than him and he had this reputation so nobody ever messed with craig again and because craig knew who was with him, that Hank was with him. It completely changed his attitude, his demeanor. Previously, he would walk around scared, hoping that he wouldn't see Jerry. But after he met Hank and understood that he was with him, changed his perspective and it gave him courage and it gave him confidence. It's the same thing with us. In the midst of a storm, when we recognize who is with us, it changes everything. In the midst of a storm, when we recognize that we are not alone, but the God of the universe is with us, it changes our attitude, our perspective, our demeanor. It gives us confidence and courage to take, to really be able to handle what is happening in our lives, to walk through this storm. And that's the first truth that, as I mentioned, that we can anchor ourselves to, that in our storms, that we are not alone, but that the God of the universe is with us. But going back to the story, in verses 26 to 44 of Acts chapter 27, what we find is, is that, as I mentioned, that they had left the island of Crete, and Paul and all of these other men, and they got stuck in a hurricane, and this hurricane was so bad that they spent two weeks in this hurricane, lost total control of the ship, didn't know where they were going, And what ended up happening was that this hurricane drove them west across the Adriatic Sea all the way over to the island of Malta, which is right off the south coast of Italy. It's on the middle left of your screen. And that's where they ended up. And they basically crashed. They ran aground. The ship crashed, and it basically sank because it was so severely damaged. But just as God said, everyone on board survived. And so now they found themselves on the island of Malta. And in a few moments, we're actually going to see an interview that our Birmingham lead pastor, Cliff Johnson, did with a man by the name of Mark Gatt. And Mark was an avid scuba diver as well as a rescue diver on the island of Malta. And one day after a storm had stirred up the seabed, he saw an anchor from an old ship. But this wasn't just any anchor because he saw on this anchor there was an inscription of the names of two Egyptian gods, Isis as well as Serapis. And we know that the ship that Paul was on in Acts chapter 27 was an Egyptian ship. And this anchor has also been dated back to the first century AD. And so although we can't be 100% sure that this anchor was from Paul's ship, because it's not like Paul signed the anchor and said, hey, you know what, this is from my ship. It's not on there. But so much of the evidence points to the fact that this was from that ship so it's a fascinating interview and as we're watching that i also want to invite our ushers to come forward to receive our offering for today and if this is your first time with us first of all let me say we are so happy that you chose to be here but please do not feel any obligation to give instead what we'd love for you to do is following the service out in the lobby to drop by our starting point table and you'll see the people who are there they have bright orange shirts that say starting point right on the front and we'd love for you to stop by and to have a conversation with them as to how you can get engaged in our community. And if you're somebody who gives, whether it's here or online, we just wanna say thank you for believing and investing in our community. But It's a great interview, so let's watch the video.
6: Well, hey, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. This means a lot to us. We're super excited to talk to you today. Can you give us a sense of when you knew that this discovery might be from Paul's shipwreck on the island of Malta. When I have
7: discovered the anchor, brought it up and uh, discovered the inscriptions on it, because this is why this anchor is a bit unique. Uh, It has two gods, uh, Egyptian gods embossed coming out of the lead on each side, Isis and Serapis. This is a, a replica of a Roman anchor. The lead stock at the top is what is discovered. So in the case of the Isis Serapis anchor I I, I found on the seabed, uh, this weighs one ton. The size of the anchors shows that it was a very, very big ship and by Roman standards, and we have to remember that St. Paul was on a ship that carried 276 men. We have this in the Acts of the Apostles. A lot of scholars and archaeologists believe that Salina Bay would be the shipwreck site and that we have enough evidence now to prove that uh, it could have happened in in that area
6: can you give us an idea what is the significance of paul and his journey and specifically this shipwreck to the people in the island of malta can you give us a sense of what that means to you there
7: the shipwreck of saint paul on malta was when uh, malta sort of found its uh, heritage First of all, you have to remember that this is a tiny island, just 17 miles long by 15 miles wide. We have 359 churches. That's more than one church a day. Uh, There's a church per square kilometer, which is less than a square mile. So you can imagine how densely populated, how Christianity was influenced uh, this country. When Paul came to Malta, it's not just Christianity that was made. It unified the country
6: as a nation. One of my favorite parts of your story is that at some point the Pope himself got involved. Can you tell us what happened there?
7: Pope Benedict immediately became very interested in
6: it. He's a brilliant
7: theologian uh, and very few know that he also is a keen uh, archaeologist himself. A request from the Vatican that His Holiness would like to inspect this anchor. He said, is this coming from an Egyptian grain ship? And I remember telling him, your Holiness, we can't say for sure, but there are the inscriptions. And I remember him touching my elbow and saying, yes, ISIS. And I was speechless. It's true, the Pope did read the the reports and he did have a personal interest and he did really uh,
6: ask to see uh, the anchor. Mark, there are a ton of skeptics out there and people who just aren't sure the Bible is true and really question that. How do you feel like this discovery would really help those who are skeptical and really aid in the validity of the Bible and particularly this story?
7: Skeptics will say, will always doubt the the Holy Bible. Um, What proofs do we have? When you weigh all the evidence nothing compares to the artifacts that were found outside salina bay and then when you compare those artifacts with what is written in the acts of the apostles by luke and what was found on land it all fits like a glove. it all makes a lot and a lot of sense and we can honestly say that we know more or less what happened that what is written in the acts of the apostles is all true as the way Luke experienced
6: it and the way he wrote it in the Acts of the Apostles. Mark, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to make this discovery personally. So help us understand, what has this meant to you and your personal faith journey as you made this unbelievable breakthrough? There's a lot to Paul that, that, uh,
7: as such, bringing Christianity to us who weren't from the chosen people. And who brought Christianity to the rest of the world? And I got to admire Paul now more than uh, obviously before. And obviously, finding something that proves that the Bible is real um, makes a difference in one's life. The discovery has definitely improved my my faith and uh, solidified, consolidated more what um, what what I've always believed in.
6: Mark, we are so grateful for the time that you took to spend with us today. And we are so excited to see what happens with your documentary and the book that you've written. And we wish you all the best in the future. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share the story
7: on the other side of the world in such a big country when we're so tiny over here. Um, And God bless all the people who are hearing me. And God bless america and the americans loved enjoyed this doing
5: this very much thank you it's a great great video great video and so i love the fact let's definitely give it a hand and i love that we can be connected to people who are thousands and thousands of miles away on the other side of the world and what connects us is jesus and what we believe In the scriptures that the fact that the scriptures tell us about paul we believe that that wasn't a made-up story it wasn't fiction it wasn't a fairy tale but it actually happened during the course of human history and that is just some evidence that points to the fact that it did that paul paul was on the island of malta that this ship that was in a hurricane for two weeks got to malta crashed ran aground was destroyed sank But Paul and everybody else who was on that ship survived. And so Paul had finally got through this hurricane, and now he's lying on the beach. And you would think, Paul was thinking, I made it through a hurricane, a hurricane that lasted two weeks. My life could not get any worse. But it was about to. He had just gotten through one storm, and he was about to enter into another. Because this is what it says when we pick up the story in Acts chapter 28. It says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, if you can picture that, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Imagine being Paul right here. You survive a hurricane, you're on a beach... And then you get bitten by a poisonous snake. And if I was Paul, I'd probably be thinking, really, God? What's next? Am I going to step on a landmine and get blown to pieces? And maybe for some of you, you've experienced something like this. And that you went through a huge storm in your life. And you finally felt like you were coming out of it. The waves were calming. The wind was dying down. The sun was starting to come out. But it wasn't the end, because you were just entering into another storm. Anyone ever experienced this before? Many of you have. When one storm ended, another one, just you were about to enter into another one. And that's what Paul was experiencing right here. But God used this event to do something extraordinary. Because it says, But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, which is understandable. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a God. So everyone around him, they saw what happened to Paul, that he had been bitten by the snake, and they were waiting for him to die. But when he didn't die and he was absolutely fine, they changed their opinion of him, and that they first thought that he was a criminal, but now they thought he was a God. And this is how God used that situation. It says there was an estate nearby that belonged to to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So what God ended up doing was he used this storm, the second storm in Paul's life, to do something beautiful. And that through Paul, God brought hope and healing to the people of Malta. And that is the second truth that we can anchor ourselves to when we are in the middle of a storm. That our storms aren't purposeless, but that God will use them. And how God oftentimes uses our storms is that he'll use them oftentimes in two ways. The first way that he'll use them is to move us closer to him. And over the years, I have talked to so many people who have told me that the way that I came to know Jesus was through a storm. Was that before the storm, Jesus was the furthest thing from my mind. I didn't care about Jesus at all. But when that storm entered into my life, I lost hope. And so I started looking towards Jesus, and I took one step towards him, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then finally, one day, I said, Jesus, I know you're real, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And so I said yes to him. I've heard that story so many times, how God used a storm to move us closer to him. And that's how I came to know him as well. Because almost 25 years ago, I was going through a storm where in high school, I was being bullied. I hated my life and I wanted to end it. But in the middle of that storm, God showed me that he was real, that I wasn't alone, but he was with me in the midst of that storm. And so I said yes to him. And it's changed not only my life, but my eternity. And probably for some of you, probably actually for many of you, that's your story as well. And that how you came to know Jesus was through a storm when he showed up for you in your life. So one of the ways as to how he uses storms is to move us closer to him. But, this, but another way, second way that God uses our storms isn't just to move us closer to him, but also to be able to help others. And I want to invite Nancy Worm up. As she comes up, let's give her a hand. And so Nancy and I were having a conversation yesterday about this very thing. And she told me about something that happened in her life. And it's a great story about how God uses our storms. So thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing.
1: Thanks. So uh, my story has to do with marriage. I uh, met Joe at college. Right after graduation, we got married. And seven years into our marriage, things were not going well. Every conversation turned into a disagreement, which turned into a shouting match. And one night after a particularly bad fight, uh, Joe left, slamming the door behind him. And I didn't want to be there when he got back, so I left too, and I checked into a local hotel. And I'll tell you, that was the beginning of surrendering for me. I had a conversation with God who I didn't really know that night, and I said, I don't think I'm going to be able to fix this, but if you can, please try. I went home the next day, and Joe moved out two weeks later, and we began a long separation. During that time, I asked him if he'd go see a marriage counselor with me, and he agreed. But after the first time, he said, that's it, I'm done. And I decided I needed to continue on. The counselor was a really smart guy named Neil. Neil had his PhD from Harvard, and he had a lot of good information to share. But after seeing him for one year, Neil said to me, Nancy, it's been 12 months that you've been separated, and I want you to know, statistically, the likelihood of you and Joe getting back together after 12 months, less than 1%. You need to move on with your life. So in the car that day, driving home, I said, okay, God, I don't know if you can work in the less than 1%, but I have no one else to hope in. I'm going to hope in you. And I, I don't know what happened exactly, except Joe and I kept talking. We kept talking about the things we'd done wrong in our marriage. We owned up to some of our own mistakes. And after 18 months of separation, we decided to move back in together to try and see if we could make things work. But it was like walking on eggshells. And uh, we moved into a new house to get a fresh start. Two miles away was a senior vice president in Joe's company, kind of his boss's boss. And they came around us. They'd heard our story, and they invited us to church. And they shared with us what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's when the surrender became complete for me and about two months later for Joe. And uh, because of this uh, difficulty, this challenge, this battle in our home. We both came to know Jesus Christ. Next month, we will celebrate 38 years of being married. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's hard to believe since I'm still so young, but. <laughs> um, if uh, you ask me if I would want to go through that battle again, that 18 months, I would tell you it's so painful. I would not want to go through it again, except. Not only did I meet Jesus, but God has Joe, used Joe and I to give hope to a lot of other couples who are struggling in their marriage. And when they hear our story and that God can work in the less than 1%, it gives them an opportunity to believe that maybe he can work in their story too. So it's really a blessing to be able to share and give others hope that God is a big God. And when you hope in him, you're not disappointed.
5: Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nancy. Powerful, powerful story about how God uses our storms. He uses them to draw us closer to Him, which is exactly what you heard in Nancy and Joe's story. But at the same time, our storms are not purposeless, and that He will use them to help others. And something that I know about every single one of you here in this room is that every single one of us here, we have gone through storms in our lives. And that's why those storms, and because we've gone through those storms, those storms make us uniquely qualified to walk with others, to speak into the lives of others who are going through something similar in their lives as well. And I have talked to so many people, especially young people over the years, who are going through a really, who are being bullied or have been bullied in their life. I've talked to so many parents who have children who are being bullied. And because I've gone through something similar, I've been able to walk with them. I've been able to cry with them. I've been able to speak into their lives and to give them hope because I went through something similar. I went through a similar storm. And for every single one of you who have gone through a storm in your life, that if you allow God to use it, that he will use it to be able to help somebody else, to give somebody else hope, to be able to encourage them and to be able to move them along in their life. And to allow them to understand that they are not alone. These are two powerful truths that when we are going through a storm, that we can anchor ourselves to. That God is with us in our storms. That we are not alone. And when we understand that he is with us, everything changes. But at the same time, the second truth is, is that God will use our storms. Not only to draw us closer to him, but also to help somebody else. And in a moment, we're going to be entering into a moment where if you are going through a storm right now, that you will be reminded of it. You'll be able to feel that moment. And if you're going through a storm right now, as we experience this moment, one of the questions that I would love for you to ask is, Jesus, where are you? As you just look around as to what's happening in your life, that you would just spend a few moments just asking that question, Jesus, where are you? And then we're going to sing a powerful song that reminds us that in a storm about what we can do. And so as we enter into this moment and the lights are going to come down, I want to invite you to close your eyes. And if you're going through a storm right now, to be able to ask that simple question, Jesus, where are you? And that he would show you that he is right there with you. told us that our lives would not be pain-free, would not be problem or disappointment-free. And I recognize that there are people in this room who are going, experiencing that right now, pain and disappointment and heartbreak in their life, God. They are experiencing a storm. They're right in the middle of it, God. And we thank you, Lord, that when we experience storms in our lives, That rather than looking at the waves, rather than looking at the wind, God, that we can choose to focus and fix our eyes on something else as we just sang about. That we can choose to fix our eyes on you. And when we do, that we can speak those words. It is well. Because in you is found hope and peace and joy. And that even when it feels like our world is falling apart, that can still be the undercurrent of our lives. And so for those who are experiencing those storms today, God, that they would know that, that they would know that these things can be found in you and that they would choose to fix their eyes on you and to be able to say it as well. So we thank you for your care. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are with us in our storms. And we pray these things in your name, amen. And so if you are going through a storm right now and you would like to receive prayer or if you're going through anything right now, if you would just like to receive prayer in general or somebody to pray with you, we would love for you to come forward and our prayer team will be here in the front. Also want to remind you, if you want to get baptized next week, drop by the lobby at the info center and we'd love to have a conversation with you about that. And I want to invite all of you back for midweek this coming Wednesday where we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. But thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your Sunday.